Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Uh, for today's podcast, we're kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast this morning. Hello, Jonathan. Good to be back. So... Uh, we discuss on the UK Investor Magazine podcast each week three equities with Alan, which we will be doing once more. Uh, but before that, we're going to touch on, uh, as we usually do, some of the key themes that we're seeing uh, in markets, particularly those themes that are um, affecting and or may affect uh, UK-based equities um, going forward. And one of the, the things that it really sort of jumping out uh, at me, Alan, uh, this week is how we're starting to progress away from um, this notion of, of a reopening uh, in, in markets. I mean, I'm looking at the FTSE 100 and what it's done uh, over the past two mm. weeks. And it's been relatively flat. It's stuck in a very tight range. You know, we're going down to you know 6,900 venturing up to 7100 you know maybe sort of trading very briefly either side of that but there's no real conviction there um without uh, outside of that uh, that range so i've i've gone back and, and had a look through you know some of the the moves that that we've seen because i i think that there's uh, this concept now of moving uh, away from uh, a reopening um you know the, the end of lockdown which, which did obviously drive uh, shares and, and, and markets, and we're moving into this uh, notion of, of new economy. And where is the the value going to be uh, in this this new economy? So, I mean, going through some of the performances uh, of FTSE 100 companies since the uh, the day that we had the first announcement of a vaccine, so that was back in in early November. Um, share price performances here um, in terms of the, the top risers. And uh, the top fallers since that date, um, we have IAG up 96% since then, Glencore up 80%, uh, Lloyd's up 75%. On the downside, we have Fresnillo uh, down 33%, Just Eat down 30%, and Ocado down 22%. So for me, that illustrates that these stocks uh, that were somewhat put in uh, the category of lockdown shares, of course, Fresnillo with the precious metals uh, and, and the hedge uh, against market volatility, Just Eat and Ocado, food delivery, of course, people staying at home, ordering food to the house. They benefited um, hugely for, from the pandemic. But since the, the vaccine's been announced, that started to, to fall away. And we see those share price movements there. On the more um, cyclical side of things, of course, travel stocks, IAG, uh, top riser since that uh, that date there. Glencore as well with the commodities, commodity super cycle we've discussed on the podcast uh, yeah. is going to be a big theme going forward. And of course, uh, a facilitator of economic recovery in Lloyd's. Um, that's a big beneficiary uh, from an opening up and increased activity in the economy. They're up 75%. So for me... I'm looking at these shares now, and I think this reopening trade is is done to some extent. Mm. You know, we're, um, we we've seen the realignment. Um, you know, we, we've seen the sell off in the shares that benefited, uh, and we've seen a sharp rally in those um, that were struggling 
during the, the worst of the pandemic. And uh, now we're looking at a, a playing field where I think the market's now looking forward to, to what this new economy is going to, to look like, Alan. Um, one of the most important factors for me, I think, for the UK economy is uh, the housing market. Yeah. Um, and this actually plays into to one of the shares that we're going to discuss yeah. uh, in, in some detail um, today. But um, let me just quickly, um, Alan, just run through um, you know, some, some statistics we've got here. House prices uh, to March in the year up 10.2%. Um, that's one of the fastest rates, I think, since the, the financial crisis. Um, very much driven by a race for space, um, which is leading to... Uh, what's predicted to be one of the most busiest years in, in housing market since 2007. But we were seeing very little movement in, in the house builders, uh, particularly those listed on the, on the FTSE 100, Alan. I mean, do you think that the, um, the market's looking at this and, and thinking that, OK, yes, um, we're, we're seeing a recovery uh, in, in the housing market, but it's not necessarily going to play through into the long term uh, for profit, profitability for, for house builders? I think one of the key issues, John, that has helped drive the housing market, um, certainly, well, w- w- well, two factors, actually. Firstly, um, of course, the government uh, removed stamp duty as an incentive to entice first-time buyers into the market. And secondly, of course, we've had people leaving the city in droves when they've been able to, to buy a house in the country or to or to move out. So that's actually had the net effect of driving regional house prices up where I live in Seaford on the south coast. We've seen um, we've seen houses changing hands at a real rate of knots and, um, you know, prices, sale prices that we just haven't seen before, which is obviously great for house, house owners down here. But there is some data uh, out this morning, of course, the the uh, stamp duty um, window, holiday window, expires at the end of June, and uh, there is data from um, from the uh, financial data out today that shows the rate of mortgage applications for first time buyers is is tailing off. Sorry, dogs barking in the background there. Um, uh, so, so the the application uh, applications are tailing off, and of course. That is going to take some of the steam out of the housing market in the interim. Um, on the on the wider front, of course, the issue is that uh, a lot of commercial uh, uh, commercial property, particularly in the cities, have uh, the, the the owners of those properties have been very hard hit because um, because of course people are now working online, working from home. A lot of companies have relocated their staff to home, so the landlords are faced with a very real problem of a, can they rent the property? And B, if they can't, what to do with it? But the fact is, I think probably more than any other asset over the past 100, 200 years, property is the most buoyant asset of them all. We've seen crashes in property value. We've seen crashes in house price values. But the fact is you still have a, a physical asset, um, uh, which is which is has probably outperformed most other markets um, throughout history. So I think um, we're going to see some repositioning in housing stocks. Um, house building stocks will, of course, be um, be hit, or, or, or will the the the, the, uh, the fact that mortgage applications are slowing down will continue to weigh on housing stocks. And I think um, the the way forward here for this sector at the moment, it's uh, I think we're going to see it tread water probably for the next 
six to eight months and it'll probably be next spring before we see any further growth and development in this marketplace. So yes, Alan. I mean, obviously, um, I'm based here in in central London, and sort of going into the city, we're starting to see things um, come back to life. It is busier, but it's nowhere near uh, what it was be, before the pandemic. I think obviously the government restrictions still in place until uh, the 21st of, of June, until things can yeah. can really get back to normal. But I, I think I think the concern um, for for investors should be. Um, or maybe not a concern, but the consideration is, you know, what does this this new economy look like in terms mm. of are we going to go straight back to what it was uh, be- before the pandemic or um, are we really going to truly have uh, a realignment of the economy, which, which has deep yeah. uh, repercussions? Mm. Um, I mean, some of the some of the figures uh, preparing for this uh, this podcast really jumped out for me and, um, you know, sort, sort of. You know, working in London and seeing, um, you know, how, how these things have have changed. Mm. Um, there's been seven hundred thousand foreign born people that have left London since the beginning of, of the pandemic, and these are, you know, typically people working in in hospitality, hospitality, working in in, in the cafes um, that you know service to workers, uh, you know, particularly in the city, West End um, of of London. So, you know, with with that change there. I mean, how do you see, um, you know, the commercial side? And this actually ties in um, quite nicely to one of the stocks that we're going to discuss today yeah. in, in British land. Um, you know, how do you see this jumping back? And, you know, does it get back to a situation or, or have we had seen such deep changes in the economy during the pandemic um, that this is set to, to have an impact for the next decade? I think it's going to be a long drawn out impact, Jonathan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we the moves that have been made to deal with COVID are not irreversible, but um, I think what a lot of uh, com- um, companies are finding is that actually relocating their staff to home or, um, and uh, equipping them at home, having them work from home, is working as well, if not better than running staff in in the office. And of course, the company then has a choice and uh, the option to um, downsize its commercial premises and, uh, you know, perhaps operate a hot, a hot desking system or even continue to work remotely. And I think I think uh, COVID in that regard, ironically, ironically, has created a huge amount of opportunities for um, for a a repositioning, as you say, of the economy. There are new industries emerging that perhaps historically um, weren't able to operate very effectively, but can now do so because because of the the very low overheads. They're now having to um, having having to factor in um, versus the uh, the overheads previously, which of course included and required a large office space. Um, so I think this is here to stay. But the fact is this property still exists. Um, and I think uh, what we're going to see over the next few years are some of these commercial properties possibly being um, being repositioned in, um, in terms of their purpose and their use to perhaps uh, residential properties or um, uh, accommodation for um, for uh, for homeless people. I mean, there, there are all sorts of possibilities out, um, that, that uh, these companies we'll be looking at and of course we're going to discuss British land in a minute and those are some of the challenges that, that these companies face but um, it's going to take a number of years um, 
And I mean, as a as an investable proposition, um, I think I would want to sit back and wait for more clarity on the direction that some of these big property owners are going to take before I, I, I put my money in. Indeed, indeed. I mean, just walking through the city, it's astounding to see how much building work is still going on. Yes, um, I agree. For, yeah. for some of these skyscrapers, when they completed one, probably during the, the, the pandemic, uh, at the bottom of, uh, of Bishopsgate, I don't know what the, the name of it is, but it, that, that is you know, a significant building, mm. a significant um, office space there. Uh, so very interesting to see how uh, how things evolve in, in the City of London and indeed uh, the rest of London and the UK um, going going forward there. So um, as we've mentioned, British Land, first uh, company that we're going to discuss today, currently in the FTSE 100, but um, given that we have a uh, demotion and promotion from the FTSE 250 coming up soon, yeah. um, it is at risk of being demoted. Um, latest figures are that I don't think it, it will be, depending on th- how things move in, in the run-up. It's the second uh, at the moment mm. um, uh, in terms of market capitalization from, from the bottom, uh, lowest in the FTSE 100. Usually there's, there's three movers, but I've seen somewhere that there may only be one mover this time. Um, so, and depending on how share prices move, um, they, they could be demoted to the 250, but they have updated the market um, of their performance during the pandemic this morning, Alan. What did that look like? Well, it was uh, it was probably as expected, but but not good reading. But ironically, I'm looking at the the share price performance. So, um, British Land still has a market cap of 4.7 billion, and it's still paying out currently a dividend of just over three percent. And the shares are trading at just over five pounds, five pounds six p um, versus the year high, high five pound forty eight and a low of three pound sixteen. So it came off the lows um, in quarter four last year. I think it put in a pretty robust performance but um but but, but the fact the facts are that the that the um the outlook uh, uh for the company is still pretty uncertain the the value of its portfolio fell nearly 11 percent uh to 9 billion um in the full year to march 31st um losses were similar to last year because it reported a 1.1 billion loss a year earlier but of course it's got these structural issues um and and the this this portfolio where it's locked into property ownership, uh, which of course is what the company is about, um, and it's a landlord. But um, but the fact is that the company uh, hasn't done too badly in terms of rent collection. Uh, uh, um, 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 it's collected eighty three percent of the year's rent, which I think you know is set against the backdrop of COVID and and uh, the issues that the company's faced. Um, are it is still a reasonable perform, performance. It also said in its outlook that it's encouraged by early signs of recovery as lockdown restrictions start to lift, and it's seeing um, it's seeing uh, footfall and sales in its re- retail portfolio ninety nine percent and one hundred and four percent of pre pandemic levels, which I find staggering. But um, that's uh, those, those are the numbers hot off the the press today. Um, it says also it expects um, demand for offices to rebound, um, predicts a further 5% uh, fall in rents uh, over the next year before recovering. But um, it's still optimistic about the future. And that's a pretty bullish statement because, um, like you, I mean, I, I well, I, I came up to the city lot, uh, last week for the first time 
in over a year. And um, yeah, it was it was very quiet, you know, tra- um, uh, traveling as I would normally travel in a packed train. The, the train was half empty. Victoria Station was, um, you know, there were a few people milling around, but it's uh, it was certainly very quiet. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm scratching my head and wondering just um, just you know, where all this footfall has come from. But clearly, those are the numbers. That's what the company's reporting. And it has it has been able to collect 80, 83% of its rent over the year. Um, so clearly, these this company is an expert in this field, and it's um, very well regarded. But um, uh, I would, uh, I think at current levels, I would be looking to, if I held the shares, I would be looking to offload, um, perhaps uh, wait until, wait until the next dividend date and, and offload after that. But um, I certainly wouldn't be a holder right now. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, there's a lot of question marks over British Stand. It has had a significant rally recently. But one thing, I've been looking through their portfolio, and they do have, uh, you know, those you know properties in there, um, Broadgate in, in the city is one, and, and, you know, they, they have a number of shopping centres um, you know, Drake Circus in, in Plymouth is one that yeah. um, I, I think as, as things, you know, start to, to come back to life, um, you know, of, of course, you mentioned the 80% rent collection. And I think a lot of these buildings are places where, where people want to be, um, you know, in, in terms of the, the sort of office space. Um, if somebody's going to have an office, British land have offices in places where, where people want to be. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think if we do see, um, you know, a move back to, to offices, they're, they're well placed um, for it. And there's another thing that I was thinking before we, we recorded, you know, looking, and this is something that that started to play out, um, you know, before the, the pandemic, um, you know, that the death of the high street isn't something new. It's obviously been accelerated but by the pandemic. But those sort of retail outlets that are doing well, are those that are placed in, um, places like Drake, Drake Circus in in Plymouth, where mm. it's not just a, a shopping centre; it's, it's really a you know a lifestyle centre. Yeah. There, there's cinemas in there, there's restaurants, and there's shopping. I think that's going to be um, something that we we see success in because people still want to go to the shops, but you know that the high streets, um, you, you know, the, the actual high streets are, are are pretty much dead in in my opinion. But I think in terms of People going to shops, British land again are uh, relatively well placed, but you know there there is this still this this huge uncertainty about how quickly mm. and when this picks up. So yes, just to say, it's interesting. You know, we're talking about the actual figures drilling down into those numbers um, over the year to to, to March. It lost nearly four percent of its uh, of of the value of its office assets. Which is, you know, fairly moderate, whereas its shopping centres lost thirty six percent. You know, so so they they have lost an awful lot, um, uh, an awful lot in the value of their shopping centre assets, but they're seeing strong footfall. So um, I suppose there is an argument, as you say, with somewhere like the centre in Plymouth, which is a, as you say, a lifestyle centre. Um, people could be attracted back very early, and uh, it, we may well see a stronger recovery. But but certainly, um, you know, I'm. It's a solid stock, but I think where it is now, it's still still too early to call. So I, just for me personally, I would I would continue to avoid. Yes, question question marks over yeah, that, and certainly so. going to be uh, interesting to see not only how that the UK uh, economy uh, realigns itself and and how it reopens, 
uh, but also how uh, British land deals with that. So, um, sure, a sector that we're going to be discussing again and and probably touching on British land in the uh, in the future. So, moving on now, Alan. There's uh, a couple of shares here. Um, Lexington Gold, one I think we've touched on the podcast yeah. previously. Um, you know, very much uh, in in the uh, early stages uh, of. Uh, uh, exploration and, and development when you're looking at, at gold miners a- across the board. Uh, what's the latest update from them? So Lexington the Gold currently has a market cap of 13.3 million. Shares have uh, traded size 5.4p on the year, um, sorry, 6.4p on the year, and as low as just under 2p. It's currently at 5.1p. Um, the company has had, uh, 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 has had a, a pretty strong year to date, um, and it is, as you say, a gold miner. It's a, it's a bit of a binary trade, really. But um, uh, a lot of people like the stock, and, and with good reason. It has. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail on the assets it owns, but it has a portfolio of gold assets in South Carolina, which is the biggest producing state, or was the biggest producing gold producing state in the USA until California took over recently. Um, some of its uh, assets are based uh, um, around historic. Uh, 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 historical gold mines, um, and indeed, um, there's the Haley mine, uh, which uh, was recently um, it, it was recently uh, bought um, uh, by Romarco and then sold in 2017, sorry, 2015 to Oceana Gold for 856 million dollars. So um, the work that Romarco undertook on an old historic gold mine brought it back to life um, and uh, and sold it on for a, a huge profit. And uh, Lexington have uh, have a number of claims in that region, um, and one is very produ- close to uh, another, the, the Barrett Hill gold mine, um, where 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 the 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 gold that's uh, been discovered there historically is, uh, or the the, um, the the gold sites that are uh, within within um, uh, 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 very close by to the to, to uh, the Barrett mine have um, have actually uh, historic strong historical gold grades and are believed to be satellite deposits of, of the same of the same mine. So um, the, the the company undertook uh, some uh, um, aerial surveys uh, at the end of last year and um, on 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 one uh, the uh, JKL project the Jennings Keystone Laughlin project um, undertook a diamond drilling program and that's this was commenced in february um six diamond holes were drilled um and uh and uh, today the company uh, reported the results of of that drilling um it said uh, of the of the six holes drilled three were pending but three of the six diamond drill holes showed gold mineralization above 100 meters so that's pretty close to the surface in in mining terms um, across a 35 a 35 meter depth uh, something like 1.57 grams per ton was recovered um, and then uh, a little higher than that um, over 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 the uh, 32 32 meter depth nine and a half grams per ton uh, were, were recovered um, between um, yeah, b- between the uh, between the 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 thirty two meter and the the seventy nine meter, meet, sorry, no, I'm I'm just reading my reading my numbers thirty nine and thirty five meter meter uh, depth. Um, and the company said that across 
that area, there were there were broad zones of mineralization were obvious, and they correlated very accurately with the historical drill results. On the back of that, they've scheduled a phase two drilling campaign, uh, and uh, we're expecting to hear more news as the year progresses. But anyone looking at the company, you'll see it's uh, it's uh, the share price has risen quite strongly during May. Um, we started May at um, we started May at uh, just over three p, and uh, went on to touch that year high of six point four p a few weeks later, and that was obviously in anticipation of these these strong results today. Um, so more news to come, but um, still moderately valued. Uh, you know, gold uh, mining companies now, particularly on the back of this new commodity super cycle, we've been discussing uh, uh, small gold mining companies are hugely in demand. And um, I expect to see uh, much more demand from institutional investors and retail investors as the year progresses for Lexington Gold. Yeah, so we certainly look at the share price there. There's definitely investor interest in their drilling program. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. And I'm sure one that will. Uh, We'll be touching on the podcast as we hear more, uh, because I think we are due some uh, more results in the not too distant future there from uh, from Lexington. So um, moving on now, last stop we're going to discuss is is Corsell um, operating in a particularly uh, exciting uh, high growth um, area of the market at the moment. Um, it, it's looking at uh, electric batteries. Um, this this is a company I know that we have uh, discussed previously. Uh, on, on the podcast, but um, it is one that's you know in the early stages of, of its growth phase, so that there's always news coming out uh, from them. What's the uh, the latest developments there? So this company is uh, it, it's got a very interesting portfolio of battery metal exploration projects um, and also power generation and storage assets. So it's quite a, a unique com- uh, combination of assets, and it's very much on trend with UK government's aim to. To get uh, to to net zero, uh, net zero uh, uh, um, power production, and also uh, decarbonisation trends overall. Um, so, uh, Corsell uh, has uh, the, the company's currently trading at one point five five p. Shares are trading as high as two point four five p on the year, and as low as zero point seven. So, it's roughly halfway, giving a tiny market cap of five point nine million, which. I find head-scratchingly low, given the range of assets the company has on its books. Um, it has a, a nickel and cobalt asset in Mambare, uh, where it has uh, a 41% stake in the asset there. And there's a jort resource uh, um, there of um, 162 uh, million tonnes um, uh, of uh, of nickel at 0.9% and cobalt at 0.09, which equates to one and a half million tons of nickel um, just at the Lambari asset, and that's in eastern Papua New Guinea. In southern, um, in southeastern Papua, there's a, a, the Wowo Gap asset where it has a um, an agreement, a deposition with the developer there, Resource Mining, um, and uh, the company is progressing towards getting that debt repaid. Um, and it may well be spun out in the form of another another battery metal project, uh, but that's uh, that remains to be uh, to be uh, to be resolved. Um, moving to Canada, it has a fifty percent interest um, in North Yukon um, in the company in a company called Dempster Vanadium. There are one hundred ninety six mineral claims, um, vanadium rich. Uh, 
shales uh, in the region. Um, and then we come to the, the power generation um, uh, um, area of the business where where we come right back to the UK. Um, and of course, we've we heard about uh, and it was discussed, of course, UK investor and um, uh, well, um, well, uh, uh, featured in detail um, in regard to the IPO, um, mast mast energy developments, of course, developing um, a series of flexible power projects across the UK to take up um, any slack that the the uh, grid uh, might require, or, um, or or to take up any additional power requirement that the grid might require, subject to changing and, and evolving power demands across the country. Um, and this is a new area of business which um, is highly profitable because the the uh, the, 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 uh, the prices that electricity can be sold for to the grid at these peak times are much, much higher than normal. Um, so uh, um, Mars, of course, has, um, has uh, 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 9 megawatts immediately available. 20 megawatts is expected to be on stream within six months. Um, Corsell, in comparison, has a 100% uh, megawatt, a 100 megawatt project at Burwell near to Cambridge, and it owns the asset outright. Um, it's uh, it's a shovel-ready uh, battery and solar project which is set to come on stream um, early next year, and it also owns the last 100 megawatt connection at the substation uh, uh, nearby. Um, since that time, it uh, has also announced the acquisition of a, a further flexible energy project, a 50 megawatt project uh, at Treen Road in Aylesbury, where it paid 150,000 cash and the remaining 250,000 in shares. Um, Scott Kaintz, the, um, the CEO of the company, called that move a highly significant milestone, which bolstered the company's position immeasurably in the flexible energy space. Um, and uh, he said at the time they're also looking to explore broader strategic options with these with the vendor of the uh, of the uh, the Tring Road um, uh, uh, power asset um, Arlington Energy. So the the company is rapidly expanding into this area, um, uh, you know, hot on the heels of Mast and um, and the uh, I, th- I think with the with the progressing um, mine, uh, uh, mining assets the company has. In uh, both in um, eastern uh, in Papua and also of course in uh, in Canada as well, we're going to see a lot more from this company as the year progresses. And I think uh, the the flexible power projects are key to driving the value here. Um, and I'm as I say, I'm uh, I'm I, I'm actually wondering why the the valuation of the company is where it is. Um, to my mind, when you've got Mars trading on a valuation of some uh, twenty to twenty to twenty five million. Just holding the power assets, Corsell to me seems to have a, a lot more uh, to, um, in its portfolio than uh, Mast Energy does. So I do believe at some stage there'll be um, there'll be a revaluation and re-rating of the stock. So of course, I mean it, it's a vertically integrated business operating focused on, on on the battery metal side of things. But I mean, going going forward, you know, if, if you're looking at the you know the, the actual battery f- facilitation. Or um, the, the mining uh, of the metals. Where, where do you see uh, the real value being unlocked for Corsell going forwards? I think it's. Um, I mean, certainly, um, we're talking about the commodity super cycle. Battery metals are key. Um, I think. Uh, I think there's equal value at every level, Jonathan. Um, we uh, with the 
Mambari asset, for instance, um, the, the the an environmental permit was recently granted there to excavate the laterite ore deposits, um, and uh, uh, so so that that's a step forward. Um, I, I think we've got a there's a number of near term news items that we're expecting to hear from the company that could trigger that revaluation. But um, I think certainly the the Burwell pro, Burwell project is probably the cornerstone project within the company and once that is closer to coming on stream we've seen what's happened with the mass valuation already i believe that's going to be the value driver for the company um as we progress through uh, through the year yes it's going to be a story that i think grows uh, in popularity with investors, it's already very high. Uh, you know, the, the Elon Musk's of this world and and, and Tesla. Uh, but but I think as things move towards certain targets for, for, from the government, uh, this is only a sector that, that's good, that's going to gain traction. So sure to be one that uh, that we touch on again in the UK Investor Magazine uh, podcast. So just to recap there on the stocks that we've discussed today just then was Corsell which trades under the ticker of CRCL uh, before that was Lexington Gold uh, trades under the ticker of LEX and at the beginning was British Land um, trading under BLND Alan thank you very much for being on the podcast today thank you Jonathan so just a note to, to listeners, we had the UK Investor Magazine virtual conference for May yesterday. Um, two presentations from um, Trident Royalties and also uh, the newly named uh, Challenger Energy Group, formerly BPC uh, PLC. Uh, the video presentations for anybody that couldn't catch it live are going to be available on the UK Investor Magazine website in the video section very shortly. So do check those out. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.